but uh, tis the season to give. And so we're going to talk about generosity. Pastor Bill did a phenomenal job last week. He really did. Good teaching last week. So we're going to pick up and we're going to continue to talk about generosity. Why should we be generous? Why should we be generous? Why? What the Lord's done? That's right. Probably everything you said, I didn't hear all of them, but probably all of them are right. But I think the most important reason that we should be generous is because it's our nature, our regenerated nature. Now, not our, not our fallen nature. Our fallen nature is grubby and greedy and clingy, holding on to everything we can get, right? Trying to squeeze the most out of everything, right? Trying to get, get, get. That's our old nature. But our new nature is a giving nature. We need to realize that. That's, uh, I think the primary reason we should be generous is because we're like our father. We have been regenerated. We have been regened. That's what that word literally means. We've been regened. Our, our DNA has been transformed at new birth. Amen? And now we are like our father who is a generous, generous God. Amen? How many of you know God is, is good and he's generous? Yeah. Right? For God, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave God's a giver, right? He has freely given us all things, right? Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with all heavenly gifts, all, all heavenly blessing, right? Our, our God is generous. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. He's a giver. Our God is a giver. Amen. He's ascended on high and given gifts to men. He has given us the supply of the Spirit. We have a supply of the Holy Spirit. He loads his benefits on us daily. How many of you are getting the point? God's generous, isn't he? He's a giver. God is good. And so we need to be like him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all with open face or unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How many of you, if you went into the restroom and looked in the mirror and you saw my face, you might get scared? That would startle you, right? You're not expecting to see my reflection. When you look into the mirror, you expect to see your own image. But this book is a mirror, right? James says when we look into this book, and we go away and we don't do what it tells us to do. We're like a man who looks into a mirror and he goes away forgetting what kind of man that he is. This, this book reveals to us the character of God. It, it shows us Jesus. And when we look into this book, we're seeing the reflection of who we are in him. When you look at Jesus, you need to see who you are. Because that's, the Bible says that, that, that uh, God has predestined that we would be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son, Jesus. That's God's plan for us. That's God's purpose for us, that we would be like Jesus. And as we look into this mirror with, with unveiled face, we behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as, ju just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we look into this book, we are being transformed to be like Jesus. That's God's purpose for us. That's God's intent for us, that we would be like Jesus. That's his plan. Peter talks about 
The fact that God wants us to be like him and, and he has made us to be partakers of his divine nature, he says. Second Peter, and this isn't on the overhead, but I just, just want to read this to you. Grace, this is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to just pull out some points here. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to to life and godliness, that through these you might be the partakers of the divine nature. Those of us who are born again are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is uh, of this world through lust. We, we have escaped the corruption. We have escaped our old sinful nature, that corrupt greedy, right, lustful, vengeful, that, that old nature that was ours, we have escaped that. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, and, and it begins to, add, to, to list virtues, add, add, add to your, your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love, or charity. So he's saying we, we have escaped that old corrupt nature. We've received the nature of God, and these are now our virtues. We have the divine nature of God, right? And he says, for if these things are yours and abound... You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you'll, you'll abound. You'll, you'll, you won't be barren. You, you won't be unfruitful if this divine nature is working in you. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. That's what happens when we are believers and we don't act like Jesus, when we don't manifest these divine virtues, it's because of our short-sightedness, our blindness. And he's forgotten that he, has, he was cleansed from his old sins. When we don't act like Jesus, we're forgetting that we have been cleansed from our old sins. That the, the, the corrupt lifestyle of this world is no longer our lifestyle. We forget that. So I believe the number one reason we should be generous is because we are like our God. We have his virtue. As he is a giver, we should be givers. We should be generous because our God is generous. There's a story about Alexander the Great. Somebody came, into his, came before his, uh, his court and he made a great request. I think it was like a half a million dollars in modern day money that he, he asked from Alexander the Great. And Alexander's counsels tried to send this man away and scorn him. But this was Alexander's response. He said, pay the man at once. For this man has done me double honor by the largeness of his request. For he, is, he shows that he has understood both my wealth and my generosity. Think about that. Think about that. I, I'm, I'm reminded... 
When I, when I, every time I hear that story, I'm reminded about, about a, little, a little boy, and he would go to the, the gas station with his dad, and his dad would go to, to fuel up the car. This happened over and over again, and he would take him into the gas station to pay for the gas. This was way back before they had the ATM machine on the pump. And they would go into the gas station to pay for their gas, and he would ask his son, would you like a soda? And he'd say, no. Would you like a candy bar? He'd say, no. Some kind of candy, some kind of ice cream, and he would say, no. And this would go on for years. And he thought, man, this boy is an unusual child. This went on over and over and over again. But then one day they go into the gas station and he asks his son, would you like a soda? And he says, yes. Would you like some, some candy? He says, yes. Would you like some ice cream? He says, yes. So they load up, they pay for their, their, their merchandise, they go to the car and they're driving down the road and the father says to the son, he said, son, how come... For all these years, you've always told me no, but today you got, you loaded down on the goods. What, what, what's going on? What happened? They said, well, Dad, I always thought that we were poor, but the other day you left your checkbook on the table, and I saw that you have thousands of dollars in your account. Why do we act like our father's poor? Right? It says you have not because you ask not. And then you ask, and then when you do ask, you ask amiss because you want to consume it upon your own lust. A lot of the reason we don't have what we can have and what we can access is because we're not asking, and then when we are asking, we're asking for selfish purpose. So this is off subject, but I just thought I'd throw it in here. So every time I read, hear that story about Alexander, I, it, it makes me think of that story. Is there any asking that's too big for God? Why? Because he's rich, right? The, the, the Pastor Bill mentioned this verse last week, that, the, the, that the, uh, God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. That, that isn't limited to just a thousand hills. That, that is a, a, a Jewish writing form, a, literary, a Jewish literary, literary writing form, that basically what they're saying in this is that God owns all the cows on the planet. That's literally what they're saying when they, when they, when they say that. He owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is rich. He's rich. And so he's a generous God, and there's nothing too great that we can ask for him. There's another story about Alexander the Great. They said that he was traveling, and a pauper a beggar was there, and he asked, he called for Alexander the Great, and he asked him to spare some change, some copper coins for his needs. And Alexander responded not by giving him copper coins, but by giving him gold coins. And the group that he was traveling with was astonished at this. And they began to ask him, why were you so generous? Why did you give him so much? And this was, this was Alexander the Great's response. He said, copper coins may suffice to meet the, the, meet the needs of a pauper, but gold coins are fitting for the generosity of a king. When we give... Do we give the leftovers? Do we give just enough to meet the need? Or do we give like kings? Let me show you a scripture about royal giving. It's literally in the, in the Bible. The, the word royal generosity. It's in this text. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 13, Solomon, wealthy. Solomon's father gave somewhere in excess of, in today's currency, $21 billion to build the temple. Solomon's temple, we, we can't even imagine the opulence, the, the greatness of Solomon's temple. 
But David had saved up because he was a man of war, and God told him, you, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war. Your son's going to build the temple. So he stored up in his generosity, stored up treasure to give to his son to build the temple. And so he, he built this temple. And, and, and in this passage, go and read 1 Kings chapter 10 in, in time. I'm not going to read through it, but look at the, the amount of money that was coming into Solomon's kingdom at this time. There was great wealth in Israel at this time. But listen to what it says about Solomon. It says, Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her country, she and her servants. You think about that, royal generosity. I believe that, the, that God's people ought to exhibit some royal generosity. You may not be rich, but that's okay. You see, giving is not a matter of position. It is a matter of disposition. Generosity is not a matter of position. It is a matter of our disposition. What, what, what does that mean? I, I, I've known some wealthy folks. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them are the most greedy, meagerly people that you'll ever meet. Ungiving, unkind, ungenerous. And then I've met some poor folks that were some of the most generous people that you've ever met. You don't have to be wealthy to display generosity. You don't have to be wealthy to give. Giving's not always about money. And we're not just talking, this is not to get you to put more money in the offering plate today. This is to get you to become more like Jesus, right? You should give in the offering plate, but you should give at home. You should give at work. You should give in your neighborhood. You should give in your community. You should give everywhere that you go. It ought to be the overflow of your life, amen? So just loosen up. We're not talking about the offering plate this morning. We're talking about something that'll change your life if you'll let it, Amen? You don't have to be rich to give. Let, let's, let's put some scripture behind this. 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 4. I love this passage of scripture. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Paul writes, he says, Moreover, brethren, we, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And, and, and the wording here is, is we want you to take notice in the original language. We want you to take notice of the church of, churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, great trial of affliction, so there's hardship, right? Pandemic, economic downturn, political upheaval, we don't know what it is, but there is a hardship. Great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. We gotta keep our joy. If you'll keep your joy, you'll be generous. Heard somebody say one time, you can't let the devil steal your joy because if he, if he can't steal your joy, he can't, stay, he can't take your stuff. You know why? The robber can't come into your house and rob it unless he, this is what Jesus says, unless he does what? First, he has to bind the strong man. What's our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. If the devil can't get your joy, he can't get your stuff. Keep your joy. Keep your joy. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. These folks were in hardship. They were in poverty. They were in a place of affliction, but their joy abounded to the riches of their liberality, to the riches of their generosity. They were generous in hardship, generosity, generous in poverty. You see, I, I, what I'm saying is that generosity is not a matter of position. It's not that you're a CEO. It's not that you have a large bank account. Your position in life doesn't determine your generosity. It's your disposition. It's your attitude. It's your outlook that determines it. These folks made a determination. We may be in a hard place. We may not have much, but we're going to give anyway. Amen? As I was reading this this passage of scripture in, in preparation for this, this message, I thought about a church in Shell Lake, Wisconsin. It's called Shell Lake Full Gospel Church. Pastor Virgil Amundsen was here, who was the founder of that church. Pastor Reg Myers was here back during the IMA conference just a few months ago. Both of those pastors were here. Pastor Virgil started Shell Lake Full Gospel, I think about 54 years ago. He pastored it for 50 years. He started it in his garage. Dan Slater, who, who was who was just three years old whenever the church was started and served as the youth pastor in Pastor Virgil's church for 20 years, spoke here during the IMA conference during the day. Pastor Dan's father was Pastor Virgil's first convert, the first person that he led to Jesus in the garage. That church started in the garage 54 years ago. Fast forward, last October, I was at their church. Pastor Reg Myers is now the pastor. Pastor Virgil's transitioned, retired, and transitioned the church to Reg. And Pastor, Pastor Reg, I was there for their conference last year in October, the Shell Lake Full Gospel Missions Conference. We were there for four nights. And that church in a town, Shell Lake is a population of, I don't know, the Manichees would know, was it about two or 3,000 people maybe? Not even that, they say. The church is 300 people. That's significant in a town that size. But we were there for four nights, and Shell Lake Full Gospel gave offerings that week. And they raised, in, in one week, one church, $480,000 for missions in Shell Lake, Wisconsin. These are not wealthy people. These are loggers. These are workers, blue-collar workers. And they raised $480,000 in one week to give to missions. Why? They have a generous disposition. Pastor Virgil built a church. And for 50 years, he pointed them towards getting the gospel out. Not only are they going to the nations, they're, they're reaching, they, they have the largest uh, recovery ministry in, in their county. It's the poorest county in Wisconsin. They have the largest recovery, drug and alcohol recovery ministry in the county that their church operates. That's what a generous people do, right? They've got, they haven't got their eyes on their situation, how much money they've got coming in. They've just made a determination. We're going to be generous and we're going to go out and we're going to promote the gospel of Jesus. That's a generous spirit. You think about the widow's mites. She didn't have much. She had two pennies, basically, in our economy. 
She didn't give from a position of wealth. What she gave came from a disposition of generosity. I heard a story this week about a man named Albert Lexon. He, he polished shoes for 32 years at the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For 32 years, he polished shoes. One time, he got the, the, the largest tip that he'd ever received. It was a $50 bill, polishing shoes. He was not a wealthy man, but over his 32-year career, he donated 30% of his earnings to the free care fund for families who could not afford care at the hospital. In his 32-year career, he gave $200,000 to the free care fund. Alex, uh, Albert Lexon is a man who's not rich, but he has a generous disposition. Generous people give more than their things. They give of themselves. You just have to make a determination that you're going to be a giver. Maybe you don't have a lot of money to spare. Can you wash someone's car? Can you come put mud on somebody's ceiling when they're remodeling a house? It's a generous act. Can you bake a cake? Can you give someone a ride? Can you visit somebody in a hospital? You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. I mean, I want to encourage you with this. Don't, don't make money a God. It's a horrible God. Money promises all kinds of things that only God can provide. That's the reality. Jesus says man cannot serve mammon and God. The word mammon actually is the name of an Aramaic God, the Aramaic God of wealth. In America, we serve mammon. It's become a God to us. And as long as we're bowing to money and possession, we can never fulfill the purpose of God. I want to talk to you for a minute here about reciprocity. Reciprocity. Pastor Bill mentioned this last week. I think my wife is going to, by the way, my wife is going to be sharing next week. Amen. So for all of you that don't believe in women preachers, show up next week so she can prove you wrong. Hopefully you guys let me preach again after she's done. Chad has killed his thousands. Rachel has killed her tens of thousands. <laughs> no, she's going to be sharing the word. I'm looking forward to it. Reciprocity. Let's look at a scripture. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. I like this translation. It says, there are those who generously scatter abroad and yet increase more. There are those who withhold more than is fitting or what is justly due, but it results only in want. We think that in life, it's about getting and holding on to. We think that's the way that we build wealth. But in God's economy, it's actually the opposite. You read this verse and you think that scattering and giving would bring you to a place of poverty. Truly, the richest, wealthiest people that I know are generous. Generous people are wealthy. 
It's what we call the, the law of reciprocity. This is built into God's system. I, I don't have time to go back through. We, we could go through and we could study this all throughout the Bible. The, the law of reciprocity, giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. Pastor Bill talked about it a little bit. I love that, that illustration about how he's, he talked about how we come into life and we're grabbing. We're trying to cling on to things. And then when we die, we let go. If we learn to let go, that's where the real living is at. That's, that's a reality. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. But the world of the greedy gets smaller and smaller. That's a reality. I've watched this principle in men's lives over the years. Those who are generous, and yet they grow in wealth. They grow in their, in their, in their stature, in their, in their position in life. God promotes givers. He does. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He promotes givers. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. You cannot be a hoarder and prosper. I got a friend, I give him a hard time. Doesn't live too, too far from here. We've been friends for years. And his family, I'm talking about uh, his, his parents, his brothers, his sisters, they're, they're business folks. They, they, they've, they've amassed wealth. They built a large business. But they, they've also bought land with water on it because, I mean, they're waiting for zombie apocalypse. I don't know what they're waiting for, but they're waiting for something to happen. Maybe, maybe coronavirus, I don't know. But they're, they're, whatever it is, they're prepared. They bought land with water on it. They bought cattle. They've, they've got pantries in every home that they own full of canned goods. I can't live that way. I've never been able to live that way. If, if the zombie apocalypse happens, I know where to go. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm going to trust Jesus. Amen? He's going he's to provide every need, right? Daily bread, everything that I have. He's going to take care of. I'm going to trust him for it. I don't have to hoard. You will never prosper being a hoarder. There's a reality in that. There's a truth in that. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Amen? If you'll give, you'll prosper. Greedy people have no instinct for reciprocity. It's It's hold. That's the, disp- that's the position of a, the disposition of a greedy person. It's to hold on to things. It's to grasp everything. I got I to gotta get this because they, they live with the idea of scarcity. A nation that, that's dominated by the, the mindset of scarcity won't prosper. In the kingdom, we can't live with a scarcity mindset. We have to understand our God owns it all. He's rich. He's wealthy. And he's going to take care of everything that we need. A generous spirit will produce reciprocity. There's no room for that with the greedy. See, I I know that when I release, that God's going to fill back up. Right? Y'all have heard of the Dead Sea? You know why it's the Dead Sea? It's because there's no outlet. Water, Water flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. And you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. You can go swim in the Dead Sea and you can float because it's, there's so much uh, potassium, salt, minerals in, in, in the water that it makes you buoyant. But fish can't live there. Wildlife can't live in the Dead Sea because there's no outlet. If you don't find an outlet in your life, your soul is going to be like the Dead Sea. There will be nothing living in your soul if you don't learn to give. 
We've got to be a, a giving people. Pastor Bill said this last week, lusters take, but lovers give. I love that. Lusters take and lovers give. Amen? I think I did this, this compare and contrast here last year, I think on December 29th, my anniversary when I was here by myself last year, visiting. But I, I want to compare greed and generosity real quick. Greed is the product of self-love. But generosity is the product of selfless love. Greed is fueled by lust. Generosity is motivated by love. Greed is narcissistic. But generosity is Christ-like. A greedy person treats people as objects to be used, but a generous person treats them as gifts to be treasured. The greedy are consumers. The generous are contributors. Let me encourage you this morning. Loosen your grip. You know what it is? We're control freaks. You think you can control the economy? You are nuts. You think you can control your bank account? Your health? We have to give up control. Let me, let me make this statement. You need to hear this. You can either have faith or control, but you cannot have both. That's why this is called the walk of faith. We, we give up control. There's a lot of risk involved in this thing, right? We've got to give up control. Your job is not to control. Your job is to yield to the Holy Spirit, to obey him. And he's going to prompt you. He's going to tell you, if you start listening to the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell you to do ridiculous things. He'll, he'll tell you to give it away. And you're, uh-uh. You know, 2015, we, we resigned our church. We had no idea where we were going. We had no idea where our income was going to come from. We ended up on the road for, for the next uh, 11 months, went through 27 states preaching the gospel. And God asked us to do some ridiculous things. In the middle of that, we were traveling on the road. I, I saw a project down in Mexico. They were trying to put a, a building on a roof. And God told me to give almost everything we had in the bank account. We're in the road. We were actually, I remember this. I was in the mall in Indianapolis sitting in a massage chair while Rachel was walking around. I don't know where my kids were at, probably with her. And the Lord spoke to me. I saw this need on my phone. The Lord spoke to me, and I thought, that can't be God. God will cause you to be generous if you listen to his spirit. He's done that to us over and over and over again. Rachel and I never have had a mentality to cling to, cling to things. And because of that, God has blessed us. I can tell you of all the blessing of God. You've heard all the hardship, but I can tell you about the, the we've given up a lot of things to do what God's asked us to do, but I'm going to tell you what, we, he has given us so much more than we could even imagine. We have been blessed because of the goodness of God. In our culture, we, we know how to live beyond our means. We're good at it. I love, I love Dave Ramsey. He says, you need to learn to act your wage. That's what America needs to learn to do, act your wage. Our, our politicians need to learn to act, act your wage. Our spending deficit is out of control. We know how to give, live beyond our means. It's time, I believe God wants to teach us to give beyond our means. I'm talking about some crazy things. God's going to ask, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, he's going to ask you to give some things that you think there's no way that I can afford to give that. 
But if the Holy Spirit, listen, it's sure not the devil telling you to give it. So if you're hearing it and the Holy Spirit's telling you to do it, you better do it. You better be obedient to it. Those who give most freely live most freely. Those who give most freely live most full. Full, satisfied. Amen? There's a place, I believe this, that we can go in Jesus where our aspiration is no longer about what we can have, but it's rather how much of ourselves we can give away. I'm going to tell you, the people that live that way are the folks that are the most satisfied. And again, folks, I'm not talking about the offering plate. I'm talking about living a life of generous, generosity. Generous folks invest their lives in the prosperity of others. It's, it's simply that the generous, I'm sorry, it isn't simply that the generous are unconcerned for their own lives and well-being. It is, however, that they have discovered an unexpected secret. It's that life is most enjoyed when we give ourselves away. That's the reality. That's why generous people are generous. They find the fulfillment in it. They find the satisfaction in it. Amen? When you learn to let go, God will be able to bless you. We've all heard that story about the monkey with the peanut. There's a peanut in a jar. He reaches his hand in there, grabs it. He can't get his hand out of the jar, but he refuses to let go of the peanut. Some of y'all are bound because you're holding on to peanut. Let it go. Find the freedom of living a generous life. Amen? I want to shift gears here real quick because I think this is important. We need to understand this. Stewardship. Last concept and we're going to be done. Stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship is an act of worship that recognizes God as owner of all things. When you understand that you're not, you're not the owner, that God is, that you're just the steward. I live this way with my kids. Noah wants to be an NBA player. Maybe he'll make it, maybe not. I'm not encouraging him towards it. People, people lie to their kids all the time. You can be anything that you want to be. Maybe he won't make, make it to the NBA. I'm not going to tell that lie to my kid. You know what I'm telling my kids? You can be what God has called you to be. That's how we need to speak to. I, I don't view my kids as mine. They belong to the Lord. They're arrows in my, in my quiver. And my, my, my goal is to, to aim them at the target, to pull that arrow out and aim them at the target that God has determined. I don't want my kids to become what I want them to be. I have a lot of selfish things I'd love them to be. i love them to be rich so I could pay somebody to remodel my house. <laughs> all my aspirations for my kids are probably greedy but God's intentions for my kids are perfect and so I'm aiming my kids towards God's intended goal I'm a steward of my children what resources has God given you do you own them or are you stewarding, stewarding them Stewardship is an act of worship that recognizes God as the owner of all things. Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. I'm a self-made man. Really? I got up this morning because he woke me up. I'm standing here breathing because he's allowing me to breathe. Everything that I have, 
my friends, my family, everything that I've got in my life are gifts that God's given me. I want to be a steward of what God's given me. I want to use it the way that he intended for me to use it. You shall remember the Lord of your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. God gave you the power. God gave you the brain. He gave you the strength to do what you do to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. I want to talk here for just a minute. And this is where some of you are going to say, you know what, I thought I liked this guy. About tithing. Tithing. A lot of people have, for whatever reason, determined that the tithe is no longer relevant. I don't get where people can pick and choose the things that God teaches in his word and which ones are still relevant for today. We need to understand this, church. God has not disregarded the tithe. And I'll let, I'm not going to teach anybody to break any law. That's, that's the law. That's the Old Testament. You know, I'm not going to teach people to disregard or to break the law because Jesus warns me, woe to him who teaches people to break my law. We have this weird idea that the law is no longer relevant. And we need to understand this. Our relationship to the law has changed. We're no longer under the law. We're fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit to rise to God's holy standard. To be the weakness, the problem with the law was, was not the law, it was the weakness of our own flesh. We need to understand that the law is spiritual. The law is the spiritual things. We need to learn to love God's law. Well, that, that's just, and this is what people say all the time, that, that's just the Old Testament. You're right, it is an Old Testament concept. And we need to understand when we're saying Old Testament, we're talking about a covenant. To me, the tithe is not an issue of law, it's an, it's an issue of covenant. Why do I tithe? Because I'm in covenant with God. People say, well, they don't teach about it. It was never taught in the New Testament. Wrong. There are passages in Corinthians that teach it. There's passages in Hebrews. We've been going over those. Go back and watch Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 7 as we talk about the Melchizedek priesthood. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before there was ever a law given. Before Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments and all, all, all of the, the Levitical code, there was a principle of tithe. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And here's what the writer of Hebrews teaches about it. He says, here we give tithes to men. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood. As we see it here on earth, we give tithes to men, but there he, who? The priest after the order of Melchizedek receives them. When I bring my tithe, I give it to the church. I believe that's where it belongs. Bring your tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. I believe the tithe is to be used to advance the gospel through the local church. I believe this is God's principle. It's all throughout scriptures. So when we tithe, we're giving to our priest, our high priest, who's the priest after the order of Melchizedek. The tithe supersedes the law. It is a principle the, the, the principle of first fruits is a law in the earth 
And there is blessing that comes when we operate in this law and this principle that God has established. We need to understand that. It's not a matter of legalism. I don't have to tithe. I get to tithe. I get to come into partnership, into covenant with God. I give him 10%. I get, to, I get the 90%. And God says your 90% is more than your 100% when you give me the 10%. I've seen that my entire life, my entire walk with Jesus. There's a blessing that comes from tithing. We need to understand that. I just want to say that. That's important. It's a part of this. Tithing is a, a, a matter of covenant. My 10% that I give to God shows that I walk in covenant with him, in agreement with him. It's not a matter of legalism. It, 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 it's, it's a matter of love. And it's just baseline giving. The reality is, until we've tithed, we haven't given anything. And tithing isn't giving. It's returning to the Lord what's his. And the way that God talks about it in the scriptures, if you keep it, you're robbing from him. Just telling you what the Bible says. So you may have just changed your perception of me, but I'm not too worried about it. Because you're not the one who pays my check. He does. So we need to be stewards. Let me, let me just leave you with a couple things and we're done. In stewardship, I'll say this. this. This is an adage. I got this from Robert Morris, and I love this. Heard this years ago, and I've tried to grab a hold of this and live this as a part of my life. Three simple statements. Spend wisely, save purposefully, and give generously. If you'll learn to live by those three principles, you'll do well. Spend wisely, save purposefully, and give generously. I'm going to wrap up with a couple of questions. When it comes to giving, let me, let me make a statement here. And then I'll ask a question. When it comes to giving, if you lead with your heart, you're going to be broke. I've heard stories about somebody who loves to give money away to people in need. What is that? That's their heart. They have a heart for them. Somebody in the room. Don't anybody point fingers. But they love to give. The reality is if we, if, we, if we give with our heart, we're going to be broke. If we give with our head, we're going to be stingy. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be a blessing. It's a reality. So I'll wrap up with this question right here. This is a, this is a powerful question. This is one all of us need to, to ask ourselves this morning. Do you, do you have a possession mentality or a provision mentality? Think about it. Do you have a possession mentality or do you have a provision mentality? Possession mentality says I better get as much as I can now because it's going to run out. It's what causes the toilet paper shortage. We can't, none of us can comprehend it. Heard somebody said that the reason there's a toilet paper shortage is people are having to stay home and eat their own cooking. The possession mentality operates under this idea of scarcity. But a provision mentality operates under the idea of abundance. 
Do you realize there's no lack with your God? There's no need that he can't meet. There's nothing that he can't supply. He's going to take care of you. If he'll take care of the sparrows, how much more will he take care of you? If he takes care of the flowers of the field, how much more do you think he's going to take care of you? They're, they're well-dressed. How are you living? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Steve to come take the offering. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that it would penetrate into our hearts, Lord God, that it would change us. Father, make us a generous people, Lord God. Teach us to live with our hands open. Teach us to be givers, O oh God. Create your nature in us. Work in us, Lord God. Let it be on display, Lord. Use us. Use us, Lord. Father, you are good. Lord, you provide. You take care of all of our needs. Father, we thank you for it. We give you praise for it, Lord. Lord, let us be a blessing. Let us be a blessing. Use us. There's a lot of hurt in this world today. Use us. Lord, speak to us. Prompt us by your Holy Spirit. Show us. Lord, give us those opportunities and when we can be generous and when we can make a difference in somebody's life. Father, I thank you for it, and I give you praise for it today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.